Welcome to the Sex Positive Podcast. My name is Carrie Ann Hanoski. I am a master level social worker and psychotherapist. I've been practicing since 2005 and my area of expertise is mood and anxiety disorders and concurrent disorders. So I work a lot with people with substance use and mental health. Um, I started to expand some of my training in 2016 and I did my certificate for intensive sex therapy at the University of Guelph and my research that I was involved in during my graduate studies was in sexual assault prevention and out of that I really learned that the way we prevent sexual assault and create consent culture is actually by education and being able to talk about some things that otherwise would be stigmatized or are taboo. So it led me to think, I need to make a podcast about that. (laughs) So here I am. Um, So welcome to my first episode and just an introduction about what I'm going to cover in in this podcast. So what is sex positivity? Sex positive doesn't mean that you have to be having sex. It's about being open and being accepting of others' consensual sex lives and cultivating a space of mutual respect and understanding. It does become really invaluable and I do think more at ease with just your own sexuality. So today I wanted to cover some ways that you can be more sex positive. And I will just add in right here a trigger warning that some of the topics of this podcast might be triggering to someone who is a survivor of sexual assault. So please hit the pause button and take a moment to go breathe, go walk, take care of your own self um, if any of this material is triggering and return when you feel ready to do so. So number one, educate yourself on experiences other than your own. So there's a lot to unpack with this one in that many of us have had very different experiences with sexual education. Many people experienced a biology lesson, more or less, in school and were not given any sort of relationship negotiation types of skills. Um, depending on the school that you went to, the country you live in, the culture, uh, religious um, undertones, whether it's a abstinence model or a harm reduction model. Um, if you're someone that's a part of the queer community, there's probably no mention of that in the sexual education you received. So there's a lot of layers to this. And I think it's a very important piece to continue to educate yourself and understand that Others can have experiences different than your own. There are lots of ways of living and part of sexual positivity is understanding that sex is a human act. So taking time to educate yourself on experiences of those that maybe don't share the same preferences as you. So it could be talking to people who are celibate, people who are bisexual, people who are transgender, straight, um, anyone in the BDSM fetish community. (laughs) 
literally anyone who has a different sexual experience than your own, because I think it just really validates how other people enjoy and live sexually. And not only does it help you understand them, but I think it also brings you closer to your own sexuality. And maybe there's pieces that you haven't explored or you have neglected because of social, cultural, taboo types of things. Um, So we can't really change anything unless we have some introspection and the ability to reflect on our own selves as well. So that's what I would say. Educate yourself on some experiences other than your own without judgment, just as a learning opportunity to see there are many ways of living. Number two, volunteer. So volunteering can be a really great way to learn so much about the people around you. Organizations like Planned Parenthood, um, the Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights, uh, Pride Toronto, the 519. Um, there's a lot of really great spaces across Canada that do come to mind when I think of places that would welcome volunteers. Kind Space in Ottawa would be another one. And really, I think it's learning that, number one, it feels good to volunteer. Helping other people and making a difference in your community goes a very long way. But I think it's even better when it impacts how you view other people. I think you get to know people on a personal level rather than maybe some of the stereotypes of certain communities and drawing your own sort of conclusions without any sort of backing. So I think seeing things at the ground level by volunteering is number one, they always need help at those spaces, but I think you can learn so much about the people around you and cultivating a sex positive environment in your community. Number three, speaking candidly with loved ones. So I'm a big advocate for talking about sex and connection. I think it's fun, it's educational, it is very positive, and it does create a very open environment to talk about pretty much anything. Um, Sometimes I think you need to have that talk with your friends, and I, I do think that It does break down a lot of barriers in terms of talking about some of those things that are uncomfortable or supposed to be private. I do think when you initially start this, find people that you feel you could be emotionally vulnerable and open and honest, especially if you are somebody who has had past trauma with sex. I think it's very important you do have a supportive person like a counselor like myself. That might be a good starting point. But really talking about sex with those around you directly goes against the ideas that we aren't supposed to talk about something that's so private and uncomfortable. So I'm here to say it's totally okay to do so. It's something that we all do. We all have some sort of sexuality (laughs) on a continuum. It does vary from person to person, but I'm, I'm here to say it's totally okay to do so. And it's also an opportunity to practice some consent culture and say, is it okay to talk about this? Can we talk about this and this and this? Um, You'd be surprised what your friends might want to share. Number four, embrace the weird. 
So this one, I will just say that if a partner or a friend describes something to you that they're interested in and you're, well, not, that's okay. We're allowed to have different sexual preferences and what turns on someone might not do the same for somebody else. There is a huge continuum of variety and interests for every person. If it's a partner, please talk to them about why they're interested in that and try to come up a way um, to negotiate and make the both of you happy if that's possible. Um, I do think for this one, fantasy play can be really wonderful and even just having the other person imagine whatever it is they're interested in or fantasizing with your partner about some of those things during foreplay. Um, I think this can also be a really great way to expand maybe what you're interested in. So please be supportive to the person sharing. It's a really great way to break down some taboos and stigma. And just know that sex is about connection and it's about supporting somebody when they're emotionally vulnerable. Number five, talk about consent culture. So consent is a topic that can feel uncomfortable and it's an important one to bring up with everyone in your life, not just in terms of sexuality, your partner, your friends, your male friends, your siblings, your parents, literally everyone can benefit from learning more about what consent means and what it means to you. We all have different boundaries in terms of what we're okay with, whether that's physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and part of consent culture is respecting that there's a boundary. One of the challenges is that a lot of those boundaries can be invisible and we can't really see them until maybe they're crossed. So here's a lesson in consent culture. Ask, ask first, every time, first time, every time, please ask for permission to enter that space. If you have not been invited or the answer is just a silent, you know, I'm not really sure, I don't know, maybe they just don't say anything, then the answer is still no. So there's a really great piece called Tea and Consent. I encourage you to Google that because I think it's a great way to describe consent culture. Um, so if someone offers you tea and you refuse, you don't force the tea down their throat. You say, oh, okay, you've changed your mind, that's fine. We need to be understanding sex is the same thing. And that also includes with a long-term partner, maybe it's a first date, maybe it's a friend. You still have to respect that there's space there and the person can change their mind at any point in time, depending on how they're feeling. Because sexual connection is really based off of trust. If you're going to enter into any sort of negotiation, trust and respect is really the foundation of that. Number six, stop apologizing. So maybe you're somebody who has never had sex. Maybe you're somebody who can't wait to, you know, get laid this weekend. Yes. Stop apologizing for how you feel sexually. There is lots in terms of how we connect to other people on a sexual level. Some people are asexual. They have absolutely no interest in connecting 
with anybody sexually. Some people are hypersexual on the other side of that continuum where they're very happy with having multiple partners. But again, it's consensual. Um, so stop apologizing for how you feel sexually. Yes, it is a human experience, but it is private and it's not something that needs to be discussed or deliberated on in any sort of way. You're allowed to feel whatever you want to about being sexual, whether you're into it or not. And it's a nice segue from consent culture, which is if you're not in the mood, it's okay. You don't have to apologize for that. There's a very nice way to just say, no, I'm not really interested. Maybe we can try again tomorrow. So please stop apologizing for wherever you are in terms of your sexuality. It is not something that you need to be sorry for. Number seven, advocate for sexual education. So I'm sure we all have really awkward moments from sex ed in grade school and high school. It doesn't have to be that way. Please find out what the laws are in your state or province. You can call your MPs or your legislators. You can talk to your local school board. You can encourage those around you to do the same because sex positive sex ed is all I could ever ask for with our next generation. And giving them the tools to use to negotiate healthy sexual relationships. And we really have to be at the forefront to make sure this happens. And it's one of the reasons I've created this podcast, because we know one of the greatest predictors of prevention of sexual assault is sexual education. And in Ontario, we had a really big debate a few years ago where the sex curriculum was actually updated in the schools and there was a tremendous backlash. Um, people not wanting to send their kids to school and taking them out and really the sex education we all received was a biology lesson. Um, it really varied from school to school, your culture, your country, um, the language you received it in. It just there's so many factors where a lot of people did not receive the same messages. And really the piece that's lacking is negotiation. We have to be able to negotiate healthy sexual relationships. It doesn't really matter if you know all the parts of a penis or a vulva or it just it's pointless if you don't know how to then ask for permission and how to negotiate some of those pieces with a partner. Um, I do also think that the sexual education we received, at least in the in the 80s and 90s that I can remember, was largely based on risk. So, you know, you should abstain because there's all these risks of STIs and it was right around the time of the HIV uh, pandemic. And I just think that a lot can go <laughs> really far by having access to sexual education for all. Um, and I do, I understand there's lots of intersections of culture and society, religion, um, race, sexual identity, orientation. Like I do feel there are a lot of pieces that really get in, get in the way. Um, 
in, in, in allowing everyone to have equal access to education because it is a human right and it is a really important thing that I am an advocate for. So please also do your part and stay tuned for more information on this podcast. Number eight, stay body positive. So this one I definitely could unpack in an entire episode on ways to improve body positivity and body image. Um, For this one, I will just say that yes, bodies and sex are a pretty pair. And if you want to feel positively about sex, it's pretty imperative that you do have at least somewhat of a positive view on your body. And it does include understanding that bodies are functional, it's what they can do, and they come in all shapes and sizes and abilities. So I do think that this is definitely something I will do an entire episode on in terms of ways to improve your own body image. But the first few I will just give you is Make sure you do have representation in the images that you see on a daily basis that, you know, there are some things you do like about yourself and spend some time with your body, you know, and I'm not just talking about sex. I think that taking some time to get in your favorite, you know, outfit or exercising because it feels good to move or making some food that is fuel, um, you know, something that makes you feel good, definitely can be something really positive that you can do for your body. And I also think a really important piece is not discussing anyone else's body for a day. Stop making comparisons and just focus on what your body needs, which is deserving respect, It's allowed to take up space. You can trust that your body is going to give you messages as information and you can follow some of those. Um, But I will just say it's okay for you to love yourself just as you are. Number nine, stop slut shaming. (laughs) I can't say this one enough. Stop it. I thought we all knew this by now, but I still see it constantly across social media. And if you don't know what slut shaming is, it's the idea of criticizing women for their behavior or their clothing or something that is perceived as promiscuous or slutty. Um, What exactly does talking poorly about another woman's choices do for you? That really would be my question. Absolutely nothing, so you need to just stop. And... The other part of this is don't discuss what other people are doing in their bedroom. If they discuss it with you, that's fine, but it's not open for everybody to talk about with shame or guilt or disgust, okay? This is a private activity. It doesn't need to be broadcasted. And if you are going to discuss a woman's fashion or clothing, just make sure to do it positively rather than singling her out. Um, it's one of the biggest myths of sexual assault is if a woman is dressed provocatively or showing skin that she deserves it in some sort of way. 
it it's blaming the victim it's blaming the person that whatever they get they're asking for and that is incredibly damaging because we know that we exist in a patriarchal society that women still are second-class citizens and we still have lots of things against us as women in the world um, Statistically, it's one in four women will be assaulted in their lifetime, but I think that statistic is much higher because that's really just based on people who report it. So one of the things you can do to be more sex positive is to stop shaming other women. Stop comparing, and if there's one thing you get out of this podcast, it would be that one, I would say, to please try and practice. Number 10, stay on top of your sexual health. Again, bodies are necessary to have enjoyable sexual experiences. Make sure you do all the non-negotiables like going pee after sex to prevent UTIs. Um, That's urinary tract infections. Talk to your partners about sexually transmitted infections. Talk to your gyno if anything seems off. Seriously, like anything, you need to just go because... (laughs) All of the organs are internal. You can't see them in the same sort of way that you could for a male. So the other piece I will say with this one is to the healthcare professionals and doctors who are listening to this, please treat your patients based on the parts they have. If the person is identifying as someone who is transgender or is in the middle of transitioning, you still have to treat the parts. So if they need a pap, if they need to have a breast exam, and they still identify as male, you still do those types of procedures. Um, It's a very important part of sexual health is doing those types of checkups. Your pap in Canada is recommended every three years, but if anything is off, please see your doctor. The other thing I will say with this, there are quite a few sexual health clinics if you do need STI testing. Um, Quite a few of them are free and covered by OHIP. I I will just also mention, because I've had this question before, if you do need to have STI testing or an HIV test specifically, uh, your name is not on it. There is a number that is assigned to the HIV test, so no one would ever know that you even had that test in the first place. So please go get tested. It's a very important part of taking care of your own sexual health. As well as a clinician, if there is some sort of sexual issue and I'm doing counseling, the first thing I'm going to look at is if there's anything organic going on. There's a lot of different types of conditions that do have medical reasons why they do happen. So please stay on top of your sexual health and well-being. It's a very important part of staying connected to your doctor um, should anything come up. Thanks everyone for joining me on the first episode of the Sex Positive Podcast. The next episode is going to be on sexual education is so much more than a biology lesson. So stay tuned for that. You can also find me on Instagram at life.mend.sexology. And again, I am your host, Carrie Ann Hanoski, and I look forward to talking to you all again soon. Take care.